You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. We are continuing in our uh, uh, slow march through, through Peter's first letter. Uh, and today we come on that slow march to chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Please open your Bibles or your bulletins. Uh, and if you're able, please stand with me one more time as I read God's Word. We stand as a sign of respect, not for me. I'm the reader. It's, uh, we, we, uh, we stand in respect of the speaker who is the Lord. This is, these are his words. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, come now and be present through your Holy Spirit. Help me to speak uh, clearly and truthfully. Direct our time together in your word that uh, all of us, including the preacher, might be instructed and encouraged and equipped for your service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, um, you know that, that one of the things that Peter has done over and over again in this letter is, is remind us to count the cost of following Jesus, right? It's a, it is a recurring theme in this letter that, uh, that faith in Jesus is going to mean for the person who has faith in Jesus. It's going to mean trouble, trials, persecution, suffering. And, and that is no less true in our passage today. Peter, again, brings that theme up. And I just want to stop there for a moment and, and acknowledge that that may be uh, hard for you to accept. Uh, you know, it's easy to think that we have, uh, we've earned, right? We've earned uh, a more or less safe and comfortable life from God, right? After all, we go to church, we make offerings, we support missionaries, we pray, we read our Bibles, we work hard in our jobs and in our homes. And so at some level, it's easy to think, although we probably wouldn't say, it's easy to think, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we might think that God owes us one, right? That 
that there ought to be a, 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 some kind of, of payoff right now in terms of a safe and comfortable life. But Peter doesn't let us go there, does he? You know, one thing that that involves, when we think that way, you know, what are we doing? We're, we're essentially bargaining with God, right? I do this, you do that. Um, you know, tit for tat. Um, and th- we're, we're, that kind of thinking, that kind of way of approaching relationships is sort of built into, the, into our system, right? Into our uh, market system where, you know, it's all about uh, bargaining and, and negotiating. But, you, you know, we think about it, right? Negotiating with God is a non-starter. Uh, you, we have no bargaining power with, with God, right? God has something we want and we have nothing he needs, now think about that. If you're if you're going to go into a, walk into a conference room to negotiate a deal, if that's true, right? If the if the if the other side has something you want but you have nothing they need, you know that's not a great bargaining position. And and that's and that's where we are with God. And of course the 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 wonderful truth is that even if we could negotiate with God, we would never negotiate a better deal than He gives us by His grace. God, the God on the cross is not a bargaining God, right? On the cross, Jesus is not uh, laying down the terms of a contract that you now have to perform. Uh, As he climbs up on the cross, Jesus isn't saying, I'm dying for you. Now you have to do what I say. God on the cross, Jesus Christ, out of sheer love, and undeserved, pure grace. Right? The righteous for the unrighteous, the deserving for the undeserving. Sacrifices himself, gives himself for your sin so that you can know and live with God in the abundant life that you were intended to have. It's, it's not right that we won't ultimately be comfortable and safe. Uh, it's It's... For now, it's a timing issue, right? Um, God wants us to engage in the world. He doesn't, he doesn't shield us from the world. He's, he, he, he is with us as we engage the world with his grace and, and with his love, as we enter into the world suffering just like he did. And the comfort and the safety will come. We'll, come, we'll talk about that. Uh, at, the, at the end here. Um, so this, the first two words in our text start, since therefore, right? So, that, so Peter is signaling here that he's, he's, he's building on what he's just said, right? And it's been two weeks since we were uh, in, in First Peter and, and looking at that text right before our text, at the last part, of chapter 3, where, where Peter reminded us that Jesus, to use his words, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, right? being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, 
And then, having been made alive by the Spirit, Peter reminds us that Jesus, the resurrected and ascended Jesus, now is given the supreme place of authority in the universe. He's, he, is, uh, he has all authority in the universe. Every other authority is answerable to him, subject to him. All angels, powers, authorities uh, are in his uh, control. And so now Peter goes, since that's true, how do you live? You know, how, how, how should you live as a follower of Jesus in light of that magnificent uh, truth? That's what he's, he's sort of teaching us today. And we're going to unpack his teaching under four headings. Okay? Uh, first, your weapon. Second, your choice. Third, your challenge. And fourth, your vindication. Okay? Your weapon, your choice, your challenge, and your vindication. So first, your weapon. That's verse one. You know, I used to be a Boy Scout. And as a Boy Scout, you lived by the Boy Scout motto, right? Be prepared. And there are a lot of people who, whether or not they were Boy Scouts, live according to that motto. Uh, be prepared. They want to be prepared for whatever uh, might, they might confront in their everyday life and you know, maybe some emergency that comes up. And, and people who, who live w- with that kind of acute sense of n- needing to be prepared uh, talk about something. They have a concept called EDC. You know what EDC is? Everyday carry. Everyday carry. And, and there are lively um, uh, debates on, uh, on, in the internet forums about, you know, what your EDC should be. Of course, it depends on who you are. But, um, you know, so what, what, what do you carry every day uh, in order to meet uh, the ch- whatever challenge you might face that day? I mean, there are some that are pretty obvious. Uh, keys. Uh, phone. Uh, flashlight maybe the phone doubles as a flashlight Um, for some people their EDC involves a weapon right they arm themselves every day and interestingly that's what Peter says we are to do as 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 Christians we are to arm ourselves now don't get ahead of me Uh, not with a gun uh, and not with a knife, but with a thought, an insight. Uh, our text says way of thinking, right? Um, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Um, that's, an, that's an okay translation, but I think in, in the context, the word is better translated, not sort of a general way of thinking, but a particular thought. Arm yourselves with a specific, particular thought, a powerful insight. And, and by saying Peter wants you to be armed with this thought or this insight is that he wants you to have it at your fingertips, right? That's why you arm yourself. That so, so that w- w- you're, it's available to you instantly. It's right there uh, at your fingertips. Um, 
So what is this thought? What is this insight that Peter wants us to arm ourselves with? As well as what he's just said and what he's summarized here in in verse 1. That Jesus suffered and died in the flesh. And as he says here, confusingly, uh, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Some of you may have read that. What's he mean there? I mean, on the surface reading, right, it almost sounds like, um, okay, Jesus suffered and died in the flesh, and when he died, he stopped sinning. Well, that can't be right, because because Jesus didn't sin, right? Um, For Jesus, what what Peter is communicating here uh, is that when, when, when Jesus suffered and died, his involvement with our sin ceased. And it ceased not, not because he died, but because by his death, he conquered it. Right? He, he overcame it. He, he broke the back of our sin so that sin no longer has uh, the power of any power over us. It has no longer uh, has, you know, causes us to be guilty. Um, so he, it, Jesus has ceased from sin in that case. And, and, and now he's applying that to us. So for you and me, since we are united to, by faith to Jesus, right? That, that when we believe in Jesus, the, 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 the New Testament writers you know, almost struggled with words to come up with this, the, the, the depth of identity that we have with Jesus when we believe in him. That there is a real, you know, a coming together, a union, so that um, uh, when Jesus died, you died. When Jesus was resurrected, you were, in effect, resurrected. Uh, when Jesus died and, and, and broke the power of sin, you were forgiven. You were freed from sin's guilt and power. So when it says that, you know, uh, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sinning to the extent that that speaking to you is it being applied to you uh, your suffering in the flesh is fundamentally the suffering and dying you share by faith with Jesus it was his suffering and dying uh, that freed us from the guilt and the power of sin. Now, we're going to suffer. Peter's going to be very clear about that because of our faith. That will involve suffering. But the suffering that we've done in the flesh, Jesus did for us. His suffering in the flesh is by faith our suffering in the flesh. And that suffering has power. Right? That suffering results in our forgiveness uh, and in, in our freedom from, from the guilt and the power of sin. You know, I, uh, being a former lawyer, you know, Paul's writing kind of lines up with my, my preferences better. I, maybe not quite as fiery and emotional as Peter, but I think, I think Paul says the same thing, and he may say it a little bit clearer in Romans when Paul says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you 
You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the insight. That's the insight that Peter wants you to be armed with. You have to consider, because of what Jesus did, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And, and, And Paul goes on, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So there's the insight we're to arm ourselves with. How do you arm yourself with a thought, with that insight? You keep preaching it to yourself. Right? This is not the kind of thing you maybe think about and walk away, right? It's not the thing you read in the Bible, close the Bible and walk away and forget about it. It's the kind of thing you, you write down on an index card or something, whatever. You, whatever it takes to just keep preaching it to your heart. That, that, that Jesus has freed me from the guilt and the power of sin. That I died with him and now I'm alive with him, never really to die again. Um, that gets us right to point two then. Okay, that's, the, <clears throat> that's our weapon. What's our choice? Verses two and three. It's, it's the same choice we talked about last week. Last week, because of communion, we took a break from First Peter. We looked at Psalm 131. And Psalm 131 lays out the, the, tr- the truth that human beings really have just two ways to live. Right There's the way of the world and there's the way of the Lord. Remember, if you were here, Psalm 131? That's, that's the fundamental choice. The way of the world, the way of the Lord. Uh, Peter's saying the same thing here. Uh, diff- in a different, less poetic way. But he's saying the same thing here in verses 2 and 3. There, you, you can live for human passions. right? Or you can live for the will of God. That's it. I mean, there really is just that. It's one fork in the road uh, for us. Now, let me just make a couple of quick points here. You know, you Christians, speaking now to those of you who are Christians, you do have a real choice, right? Because Jesus destroyed the guilt and the power of sin, you don't have to obey sin anymore, right? It's It's... Its power is is broken um, in that it doesn't hold you in its grip. It doesn't compel you uh, anymore. You can look at sin for what it is and say no to it. Now, does that mean you always say no to it? No. Does it mean you're not tempted to sin? Of course not. We, we are tempted to sin. Does it mean that we can we always successfully resist temptation? No, we don't. But... Sin no longer compels us. Right? We, we may willingly dive into it, but it, but it no longer uh, compels us. Um, now, the flip side, that, now let me talk to those of you who may not be Christians. Because if, you're, if, you're, if, you're not, if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ as, 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 as your God, then actually what Peter is saying here, the, the flip side, is you don't have a choice. Now, it may seem like you do, and you do, you, you do have a choice, but there are guardrails on your choice, and the guardrails, within the guardrails, it's all the way of the world. It's, it's all the, 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 the human passions. It's all the way of, of sin. You, you don't have a choice 
in your natural, unredeemed self, none of us ever had that choice to, to make the Godward choice. We never will. Because sin is so powerful, so corrosive, has us so much in its grip that, that we, we won't make the Godward choice. Right? He talks about here this flood of debauchery. I, you know, I don't, that's communicating a lot of, you know, the extent of sin, but it's also communicating, I think in a very powerful way, the, the power of sin. That, that, that as before we be, become believers, we are caught in this flood of dissipation, flood. Of, when, and the point is, you know, flood, that's a very graphic and real image, especially for, 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 for Jews, that flood was always representing death and judgment and, pow- you know, sort of a dark power. Um, and if you've ever been caught in a flood, you, you know the power of water. I, as a fly fisherman, I know it doesn't take much water. You don't have to go wading into a river very far before you feel the pull of that water. And you can easily suck you out and, and take you down river, right? And, and that's what sin does uh, to, to you. We, 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 you're, you're, we get caught up in it. Now, does that mean if you're an unbeliever that, you, that sin makes you do what you don't want to do? Answer no, right? It's not like... Yeah, you say, um, I don't want to rob that bank, but sin is behind me, you know, pushing me towards that bank. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't want to, I don't want to rob the bank. And sin is going, no, you're going to. Here's a gun. Go say, this is a stick up. Uh, uh, no, you, Peter makes it clear that when we sin, we do what we want to do. Um, and um, that's just another, you know, indication of how powerful sin is that uh, it's it's what we want to do you look at that list of of of, um, things that uh, he uh, identifies with the Gentiles the unbelievers uh, living in sensuality passions uh, etc the the last one in that list is really the the fundamental one the it's it's the sin underneath every other sin and what he would would translated here lawless idolatry it could also be translated wanton I, idolatry you know yeah idolatry is is simply uh, living uh, your life focused on something other than the Lord for, for enjoyment, for meaning, for self-esteem, for self-worth, uh, you know, right? It's, if, if you're getting your identity uh, from something other than uh, the creator God, you are engaged in wanton idolatry. And if you do that... Um, uh, you, 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 your life ends up being lightweight. You end up being a lightweight. Uh, one commentator I, w- I, w- I read said, you know, if you're not living by faith in God, then, then your life is by definition abandoned ultimately to what he called superficial and transitory pleasures. Now, Understand, I'm not saying, you know, come to Christ and lose all your pleasure. 
right? Come to Jesus and have no fun. Um, a lot of people say, think that's what Christians say and what Christianity is about. It's, it's, that, that is not true at all. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with the things, many things that we, we depend on for pleasure. Uh, it, you know, uh, family, home, career, uh, leisure. Uh, those are good things. Those aren't immoral things. Those are good things in and of themselves. When we make them the foundation of our lives, when that's what we're looking to for for our you know to to, to define ourselves, then they become superficial and transitory. They do that rather than gifts from a God in whose feet we are anchored, that gifts from a God that we can enjoy. Uh, they become superficial and transitory because we're putting the whole weight of our life on them and they can't, those, those things won't sustain the weight of your life. Um, some of you have been out of high school long enough to have had the uh, opportunity to go back to a high school reunion uh, or maybe you, uh, if, you've, if you're still living uh, close to your high school, you don't have to go to a reunion to occasionally run into your uh, former high school classmates. Um, I, I've gone to a couple of my high school reunions, and, and, uh, and I've talked to other people about reunions, and there always seems to be one small group in every reunion class, right, that, is, that are still living the glory days of high school. Right? They get together and it's all, they're all about, you know, remember the football team, remember the basketball team, right? Remember the cheerleading squad. And they're, and they're talking about that and nobody cares. It's just, it's so, their lives have, have so shrunk. Right, their 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 lives are irrelevant. It becomes they're building they're building a life on yesterday's news. Don't do that, right? That's that's what idolatry does to you. It it makes you superficial and transitory. You, every one of you, was made in the image of God. You were made to live out His will. Not to, not to follow the way of the world, but to, to follow his way. And if you make that choice, right, then it's not like it's a choice between pain and pleasure. It's a, a choice between asceticism and, and uh, uh, right, that I have to you know, give up my pleasures or not. No, it's you make that choice to, 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 to be focused on the Lord, to make him the center of your life, and your life will not will, will, will have weight, it will have meaning, it will have significance, it will matter, uh, and you have all the pleasures. But the pleasures aren't transitory anymore, superficial, they're joys, they're joys, they come, they come as a gift from God. That's your sweet spot. If you're a human being, that's your sweet spot. And we're all human beings in here, right? Following your creator's will for your life, not what the world tells you to do. Um, and on that, and I, I, let me say one more thing about following the world. You know, the world has this incredible uh, ability to 
make us conform, right? To p- push us into its mold. And, uh, and if you do that, right, there's some superficial and transitory t- payoff. But what I want you to know that it's, it's, the world is also exclusionary and unforgiving. That anything the world gives you, it will take back. It is, it's, it's exclusionary and unforgiving even to its own, right? So, the, so that, and this is, I particularly want you young people to hear, it's junior high, high school, uh, but also those of you maybe on the other end, age, end of the age scale where you're sort of aging out of what the world values. Right? I mean, the world really demands that you have the right facial structure, the right body shape, the right smile, the right IQ, the right EQ, the right fashion sense, the right number of followers on social media, the right income level, the right grades, the right resume. And if you don't, you know, you're going to be marginalized. And if you have them and lose them, you're not going to be forgiven. I was, um, I watched an Instagram, kind of a pathetic Instagram of a, of a, a model who is now in her 60s, a beautiful woman. And she's, but she's lamenting the fact of how, Cruelly, she's being she be, is treated on social media uh, because she doesn't measure up to her old beauty. You, you mean you talk about you know exclusionary and unforgiving? Um, but here's what I want you to hear. I want everybody to hear this, particularly you young people. Jesus will never sideline you. He will never marginalize you. He made you. He loves you. He has a transcendent purpose for your life. Right? Now, if you follow him, if you make the hard choice to follow him and resist that conforming pressure of the world, there's going to be a cost. And then... And, and that's what Peter gets into next. Peter is nothing if not honest. And right, this letter always is taking us back. Remember, count the cost here. If you follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a cost. And that's point three, the challenge. Verse four. Um, tell you a per- little personal anecdote. A- anecdote. After I had been here at New Life for a few years, so it's early 2000s, I got invited to a retirement party for the partner at my former law firm who had been my mentor and had been the the lawyer I had worked most closely with over the years. Uh, Lovely man, funny man, profane, (laughs) uh, hard-cussing man, uh, magnificent lawyer, brilliant mind. Uh, and so he's, he's retiring. And, um, so I go up to this party, it's a country club up in Orange County. And as I'm driving up, I'm, I'm thinking about it, who I'm going to see. And I'm realizing, oh, th- you know, this is going to be the first time that, that, um, I would see many of my former partners since I made the decision to resign from 
my firm and become a preacher. Uh, so I was looking forward to it. And you need to know that the reaction I got at that cocktail party was pretty much what Peter said it would be. Uh, in verse 4. Um, a lot of them were surprised, right? He says mentions that, verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised uh, when you do not join them. Um, the, there was a lot of that. Um, the, um, right? Th- that word surprised is actually even a stronger word. It's, it, it could be maybe even better uh, translated like astonished mystified and and that was true you know as i was would be talking with these people they're just they're mystified they don't get it they just don't get it and you talk they ask questions and you're talking and explaining and they're just like i you know i just don't understand how you could not be doing what we're doing um and that was okay uh uh I was strange. I, read, I, was, I was an oddity to them, and I kind of expected that. A smaller group, a much smaller group, the, but though, were openly hostile. And, and, and that one caught me off guard, right? I would, I would I'd see a fellow, and I'd you know, raise my hand, hey, Joe, hold out my hand, and they'd be left hanging. And that doesn't happen very often, right? That's awkward. Um... And some of them would just turn, turn around and walk away. Others would engage, but it would be a pretty tough engagement, right? Instead of ridiculing remarks, rude remarks, belittling remarks. Uh, and uh, so it was, it was a long night. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, I have to say in the Q&A, and I, and I reminded people in the Q&A, like, I am, it's, it's a much longer story than I can tell, but in fact, when I gave notice of my resignation, the firm met and came back to me and allowed me to stick around until I had vested in a, in a benefit that was coming, would, would, would come to me as a partner, and, and generously gave that to me without an offset, there was an offset provision in there. So for three years after I resigned, my firm wrote me a check, and that put me through seminary. And so, I, you know, it's, 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 it's a testimony to the, to, the, you know, to the goodness of the Lord and to how God uses everybody. It's, I, don't, I don't want, I'm proud of my law firm for that, and, I'm, and I, don't, I don't want you to get the wrong wrong idea um, that that even though these people were largely unbelievers, many of them supported me, even not really understanding it or knowing what I was doing. But some were this way, right? And, I, you know, Peter doesn't say why they will malign us. That's, I mean, that's what they were doing. They were maligning me. Um, I suspect it's because we remind them, not just me, but you guys, I mean, right? As we go into into situations like this, uh, we remind them, uh, our unbelieving friends, of the truth that they know about God, but they are suppressing. Right? Romans 1. We all, we all know something about God, and 
in our our sin causes us to suppress that knowledge and when we when we when when sinners who are suppressing the knowledge of God come up against someone who is uh, living by faith in God uh, they respond i think it's probably a guilty conscience uh, right uh, toward god but it gets expressed it gets expressed to us the other thing is they just automatically assume because you know oh you know oh you think you're better than we are right um i'm you know i'm standing there with them. i i never you know, didn't judge them but they 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 assume i'm judging them Oh yeah, you think you're better. You know, again, I think they're they're sensing the disapproval and the, the, the of of God in their choices, but they're again projecting projecting it onto me. Um, whatever. Um, w- one thing I, I want to I do want to encourage you on this because the reality is that was what 15 years ago or so. We're gonna, you know, this is this is going to become an increasing reality and probably a more serious reality. And that that's you know it's one thing to get. You know, to be left hanging at a cocktail party. I mean, there, there are there are, the, the costs are ramping up in, in our culture as 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 Christians are becoming more sidelined, more marginalized. As society becomes more secularized, the the, the cost is real, and and there are going to be costs. And I'm looking out at some of you now who are bearing that that cost as you conscientiously follow uh, the Lord. One of the things I want to encourage you in that process is um, uh, is this word malign that that uh, you, Pope Peter uses there uh, in in uh, verse four is actually the Greek word that if you literally translated it the the, the word is blaspheme um, but it 's interesting that they don 't translate it blaspheme and they will blaspheme you well be, because typically not universally, but typically blaspheme is something humans do to God, not humans do to one another, uh, so they take a more general they take blaspheme in the more general sense there and translate it malign but I think there's some i believe there 's some method in peter 's uh, uh, madness here in in using that verb blaspheme um, because it may be that what he's communicating is that as you are being maligned because of your faith in Jesus the people that are maligning you are more fundamentally at the same time blaspheming against God if if they're maligning God's people, they are blaspheming God Himself. And the the as I was thinking through this, I thought about the, uh, you know an episode that seems to confirm that, and that involves Paul before he was Paul, right? Saul, when and and his job as was to be a persecutor of Christians, and he was on his way to Syria to persecute Christians, right? He had papers to arrest and. And imprison and 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 probably execute Christians, and uh, and the resurrected Jesus stops him on 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 his way to Damascus, and speaks to him. And the very first words out of Jesus' mouth to Saul is a question. And he said, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that interesting? 
That is a very revealing question. Saul, as far as Saul knew, he wasn't persecuted. He didn't even know who this risen Jesus was immediately. He's he's persecuting these believers in, in Damascus. But Jesus says, no, you're not. You're persecuting me. Which is, I, I found that wildly encouraging. That, 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 that here it is, Jesus identifying with us. That what happens to you is, is in essence happening to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, as, as, your, as your great high priest. So remember, remember that the next time you, you face this kind of ridicule and being maligned for your, for your faith. So is the cost worth it? Um, I mean, I guess that's the, 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 the next thing that this, the next question that the text begs, right? Okay, we've got this. Peter keeps telling us, well, there's going to be this cost. Is it worth it? And that gets us to the final heading here, uh, vindic- our, your vindication, verses 5 and 6. And of course, you know what the answer to that question, of course, Jesus is worth whatever it costs uh, to, to follow uh, him, whatever it costs you, even if it costs you your life, right? As Paul reminds us, to, to, even if we are uh, put to death in following Jesus, to die is gain. The point is that, that death doesn't end our story, right? That that that. The work of Jesus is, is vindication. The work of Jesus is, is ultimately to, to make all things right, to put things to right, which means you're going to be vindicated. And now God doesn't do that immediately, right? God doesn't, it, there's that, as we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, we want, we want to be vindicated right now. Lord, make my life comfortable, make my life safe. No, that's not how God vindicates us. He, 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 he calls us to engage the world, to enter its suffering, and then he vindicates us by being with us, right? And, and walking with us and causing us to get through, right? We will get through. We will persevere with the Lord. We'll get through the world. We'll get through all of its persecution, all of its trials, even if it throws death at us. And even when it does throw death at us and we are all going to die, everyone faces that challenge. Uh, we are vindicated, right? Because death just opens, is, 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 our, is the opening of the door to the eternal life, the abundant life that, that Jesus has promised us where things are put right. So, those who malign you as a Christian are going to be judged, right? Peter says they're going to have to give account to the one who judges, the, is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's Jesus. Um, and I know we don't like to, you know, judgment is, we don't like to talk about judgment anymore than we like talking about death. Uh, thinking about judgment and death, but you know, if you if you just stop for a moment and think, you know, where what would life be like if there wasn't judgment, right? If there wasn't a moral arbiter, if there wasn't some you know someone, some standard, and some judge that calls us to account for our decisions and our behaviors, right? W- without that. 
I mean, life becomes chaotic, right? It's, um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I, some people say that, you know, it's belief in this, in this uh, judging God, that Christians' belief in a, a judging God, a God who will have, you know, his vengeance is, is, is what increases violence in the world. And, you know, and I would say that it's ex- the exact opposite. It's, it's, it's the people who, who, who don't believe in the Lord, who don't believe there's going to be any judgment. That, 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 that belief is what's increasing violence in the world because it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. If you're going to, if no matter what you do, you're going to get away with it. You're not going to be called to account for it. Then there is no check, right? Kill Jews, give to the Red Cross. What's the moral difference if there is no judge? There isn't. So judgment is a good thing. It's a fearful thing. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. Um, Peter says, uh, you know, that... um, in verse 5, Jesus is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's interesting. He says that. Um, Jesus is ready to judge the living and the dead. So if he's ready, why isn't he doing it? Uh, well, because we're not ready. Christians, you're ready. Individually, you're ready to, to face God's judgment. And you will stand in it because you're, you've been forgiven, because you're, you're, all of your sin has been you know, the judgment for your sin has already been meted out onto Jesus. And God doesn't believe in double jeopardy. He's not going to exact the penalty for the same sin twice. Um, uh, but there are a lot of people, at, you know, the human brain, looking at ourselves corporately, we're not ready for judgment. And that's why God's holding off. He wants, he wants he's giving people time to repent, to come to the knowledge of him, to repent to confess their sins, to come to, uh, to, to, to Jesus as, as the forgiver of sins and the Lord of their lives. Um, and, you know, if, that's, if I'm talking to you, if you're a person who has not yet believed in Jesus, I mean, I'm duty-bound as a preacher of the gospel to say, man, this, this is a warning to you. Jesus stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Everyone is called to account. Uh, and, and, and you will be called to account. Um, this is the time you need to embrace the salvation that God offers in Jesus. And it's, the, it's really the only one. Um, and it's the certainty of that judgment that ought to motivate us as believers, as, as Christians, to, to get the gospel out, to get the word out, to start... You know, to, to stop being afraid of, of the awkwardness of sharing the gospel with the people we know. And we, we need to have a sense of urgency out there. there. We've got a world careening towards God's judgment, and we possess the answer. Right? His name is Jesus. And so we, we really need to be urgent in, in getting and fearless in getting that word out. And I'm speaking, I'm preaching to myself there. Um, and then in, in verse 6, he, he kind of p- closes us out with a word of encouragement. 
it's a little bit, again, the language is a little obscure here. Um, who, who are, uh, you know, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. People grab hold of that and, and use it to interpret 1 Peter 3 to, to, to make the case that Jesus uh, went into hell and preached the gospel to the, to the dead in hell and gave them another chance. I, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I don't think that's a, a, a right reading. Uh, I, think, I think what Peter's doing here is he's, in, he's addressing an issue that was confusing to the early Christians and, yet, and is still an issue for us. Right, the, the the early Christians, by and large, seemed to have a vibrant expectation that Jesus was going to come back real soon. And and as Jesus kept not returning, and of course he still hasn't returned yet, um, the um, Christians started to die. Natural deaths, deaths in the arena because of their faith. And 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 the Christians are conf- the surviving Christians are confused. What's what's happening? What's what's the status of these people who who believed in the gospel, but you know they're being they're dying or they're being killed? What what's going? On? Are they missing out? And and uh, you know that might s- still discourage you it, or, or confuse you. Uh, might cause you to question your faith in Jesus because uh, you're hearing what what some of the early Christians heard, and I've heard it, I've heard it, like, you know, you're talking to an unbeliever and they go, uh, you know, wh- where is your God? I don't see him. You said he's going to return. When's he going to return? Life kind of seems to go on year after year, decade after decade, century after century. I don't see him returning. Uh, you know, where's this, where's this vaunted judgment you talk about? And that might cause you to wonder, gosh, is my faith right? Is my faith genuine? Is, is uh, you know, answer, right? Remember who's writing this. <laughs> Peter. Peter's writing this letter. And um, Peter's an apostle. And the, the whole of the Christian faith... Right, the new the the New Testament, in particular, is based on the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, right? Apostolic testimony. Christianity is 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 history. It's more than history, but it is history, right? And it depends on real events in real history happening, and we know that they happened by virtue of people who saw them happen and then testified to it, right? Apostolic testimony. Um, so it's not pie in the sky. I mean, we, we're not making this up. There are people that said, this is what I saw. Uh, apostolic testimony. Peter saw, right? He saw the living Jesus after he was crucified. And he didn't just see him. He touched him. He talked to him. He ate with him. He... Um, was taught by him. He was restored by him. Remember when Jesus asked Peter three times whether he loved him um, to unwind the three times that Jesus that Peter denied even knowing Jesus, um, and that, of course, blew away Peter. Blew away all of his paradigms. True of all the apostles, um, 
And it also absolutely revolutionized their lives. Right? I mean, think, think about it. I, 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 th- I was thinking about it today when we sing, um, oh, we're going to sing, I Will Rise. And, and whenever we hear that song, Linda and I think about Jim Houston, our brother uh, who was our former worship leader who died. You know, what would I think if, you know, as we're singing that song, the back door's open and Jim walks in? Well, I mean, would that just blow me away? And blow us away? Wouldn't we be, wouldn't we be so filled with joy and confidence and, 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 and all our fears vanish because... Yeah, it's true. Right? There's life after death. There's resurrection. Now, that, that's what Peter, as an apostle, was able to see. He, he saw, the, the, right, the only, up till now, the only resurrection, but it's the first fruits, right? Um, it's, it's just the first of, uh, of many. And, and it... It, it, it dissolved Peter's fear. He became a different man, right? From, from this guy who was cringing in, in terror and hiding from the Roman authorities because he was afraid they were to do exactly what, to him what they did to Jesus. Now he's, he's fearless. He doesn't fear Rome. He doesn't fear anything. The only thing he fears is the Lord, right? Why? Because he, cause he's seen Jesus, and he heard Jesus say, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the, fear the one who can destroy body and soul in hell. Because it doesn't matter if they destroy your body, you will enjoy resurrection life with me. Right? And, that, and, that's it. and so what Peter's saying in, in verse 6 is that everybody dies. Right? Each of us is appointed to die once and then face judgment. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, right? That's a judgment on the sin of humanity is that we all now are subject to, to physical dying, right? That's, that's true of every one of us. But Peter's saying, look, don't worry about those people that have died, that have had the gospel preached to them and have believed it. Why? Because for them... They're going to live even after they die. So, um, you and I have nothing to fear, right? We have nothing but God to fear. And our fear of the Lord is not a cringing, terror-filled fear, but a fear full of gratitude and awe and wonder for what he's done for us, how he's totally revolutionized our lives and our perspectives. Um, how even though we suffer, right, we know we're going to be vindicated. And we know that the pleasures that we're going to enjoy are not going to be uh, temporary um, and, and insubstantial. They are going to be uh, forever pleasures at the right hand of God. So take courage in that, Christian friends, okay? Amen. Let's, let's take a minute and just pray silently. Um, Peter has said a lot here. Just reflect on that for a moment in prayer and then silently and then I'll, uh, I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we um, are humbled in front of the 
sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. Lord, thank you that because of that, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. The guilt of sin has been taken away. Um, and Lord, even though we are going to be called into times of, of being maligned, of times of suffering, times of trial, Lord, um, we, we, we trust in you and know that um, as we do, that we will know your vindication and your forever pleasure. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.